Open your Bible to the gospel according to Job chapter 19. And we've been looking for this daysman that Job was searching for in his calamity. Somebody that could be summons to get betwixt him and the Holy One. And I'm glad that we do have a Savior, a mediator, a daysman, one that pleads our case, one that pleads our cause. Where is God in all of our calamity, people say. An old songwriter said, standing somewhere in the shadows, you'll find Jesus. Chapter number nine, we saw him as the representing one that gets betwixt us and God. I'm glad he is my heavenly representative. Last week, we looked at chapter 16 as the recording one. Job said, my witness is in heaven and my record is on high. Aren't you glad there is one that's keeping the score? And his book's always balanced. And I'm glad he's the heavenly accountant. And I'm glad I know my name is there. I'm glad my name is in the book. I'm on heaven's roll. My record is in heaven. I'm glad there is recorded in the book of life. Thank God my sins are paid for. And I have been rescued from the jaws of sin. I want you to come to chapter 19 today. Another glimpse of Christ in this little book of Job. The Christ of our calamity. Where is God in the midst of all of our affliction? Who is this heavenly daysman? Well, he's not only the representing one and the recording one. But according to Job chapter 19 today, I love this. He's the redeeming one. Aren't you glad he is our blessed redeemer? And Job begins to testify in chapter 19. Let's read his testimony in verse number 23. Job said, Oh, that my words were now written, and oh, that they were printed in a book. Well, I think he got his wish. Glory. Because God put it down in the book of all books. The holy word of God. He says in verse 24 that they were graven with an iron pen and led in the rock forever. Job said, but I got to say, I wish somebody would take a nail and a hammer and grave it into the side of the rock forever. Honey, I'm glad 2,000 years ago they took three rusty nails And a hammer of depravity and sin and unbelief engraved in the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoop! Hallelujah that my sins have been forgiven. Job finds the Christ of his crisis. He gives us another glimpse of this heavenly daysman. For in verse 25 he said, For I know. Anything that certain ought to be written in a book. Anything that certain ought to be graven in the rock forever. And I'm glad that it is. Verse 25, for I know that my Redeemer liveth. And he shall stand at the latter day 
upon the earth. Aren't you glad the Christ of our crisis, this daysman, this one that gets betwixt us in the midst of our turmoil, he is the redeeming one. I love Job's words. I love Job's testimony. He tells us in the text the importance of his words. He said, what I'm about to say is so important that it needs to be written in a book and it needs to be graven in a rock forever. I'm glad today we have the word of the living God and it is Christ the solid rock. Have you noticed he used the word book and the word rock in the same setting? We know that the Bible is the written word of God. But we know today that Jesus Christ is the living word of God. The Bible is God's word in ink. Jesus is God's word in blood. And I'm glad the Bible is true. And I'm glad Christ is true. I'm glad the written word of God is inerrant. And I'm glad the rock of ages, the living word of God, is inerrant. I'm glad we have a perfect book. I didn't get enough amens on that. This ain't no liberal church. We don't vote every year to believe where we believe the Bible is the word of God or not. It's the word of God whether every church in this county votes it out or not. God help any preacher that stands up and says anything other than that. We have a perfect book. And may I add to that, we have a perfect Savior. We have a Bible. We have a written word that we can trust. And we have a living Savior who is the rock of ages that we can trust. God will never go against his word and God will never go against his son. I'm glad I'm saved today because the rock tells me so and the Bible tells me so. I'm glad I've got my foot on the rock and the word of God in my heart. The importance of this word from Job is it's written in a book and it's engraven in the rock. And I noticed the duration of it, it's forever. He said, I wished it was written forever. Job, it is written forever. Because the Bible said that heaven and earth would pass away, but God's word would not pass away. He said, I wished it was engraven in the rock forever. I want to tell you, Job, it is in the rock forever. Because he's the forever Savior. And the only kind of salvation is forever salvation. And the only kind of redemption is forever redemption. The importance of it. It needs to be in a book. It needs to be in the rock. And I'm glad that it is. But I don't see the importance of Job's words. But I see the inspiration of Job's words. How it brings inspiration to our heart. What he says in verse number 25. Notice when Job makes this statement. Notice the timing or the season in his life. He's not gone through a mountain experience. He's not gone through a time of great blessing. He's not had a great moving of revival. But Job's timing, Job's season is in the time of his loss. It's in a time of pain, a time of misery. But what inspiration Job found to keep on going and to remain his faith in God 
with these inspiring words, for I know my Redeemer liveth. And aren't you glad in a world of chaos, calamity, confusion? Aren't you glad in a day of bewilderment and burdens and brokenness? Aren't you glad in a time of distress and disappointment? There is something that does bring inspiration to the heart of the Christian, and that is we know our Redeemer liveth. In the midst of uncertainty, we know our Redeemer liveth. In a time where sin is at an all-time high, we know that our Redeemer liveth. You say, what could be so powerful about that one little statement? Well, there are three things I see in that one statement. I know my Redeemer liveth. It describes what kind of Redeemer He is. And you say, well, what does this text say about our Redeemer? Well, number one, he is a knowing redeemer. For notice how he words it in verse 25. He didn't say, for I suppose. He didn't say, for I hope. He didn't say, for I reckon. He didn't say, for our guess. He said, I know. That was a lot of things that Job did not know. He did not know why the storm came In his life. He hadn't been out drinking, carousing, boozing, living for the devil. He'd been worshiping God. Living right. The Bible said he was perfect and upright and just. And all of a sudden the storm lets loose in his life. And Job goes to bed one night rich as a man could be. And he wakes up the next morning and he's broken. Everything in his life is gone. His family, his fortune, even his health. But yet Job said, there's a lot of things I don't know. I preached a funeral Friday night of a young lady, 48 years old. And I looked at her husband. They've been married 28 years. And I looked at their little daughter that's just turned 21. And I had to say, I have no answers. I don't know why God chose to take your mother. I don't know why God chose to take your wife. I looked at that grieving mom and dad on my left and I said, Mom and Dad, I don't know why you had to do what we call the unnatural. There's parents all over this room today. You've had to do the unnatural. Bury one of your children. That's not the natural process of life. Well, I wish I could have told them the why. Well, that dad standing at that coffin, he was trying to tell me a story and he encouraged himself. I mean, he encouraged himself right in the middle of it. He said, Brother Joe, that's my little girl. And by the way, you mamas and daddies know this. No matter how old them children get, they're still your little boy and they're still your little girl. I'm 60 years old and my mama still calls me darling, sugar, my baby. Things I wish my wife would call me. I can't describe to you in church the words she has for me. But she's not my mother. And let me say to you unmarried men today, the last female in your life to love you unconditionally and baby you and put up with you will be your mother. But man, he said, Brother Joe, that's my baby. That's my darling. And he gave this testimony. He said, I won't ever forget the Sunday night. That's why we go to church on Sunday night. God may tag you on Sunday night. He said, one Sunday night when we got home from church, 
She was eight years old. And she come bouncing in my bedroom, getting ready to go to bed, said, Daddy, Daddy, I want to know how to be saved. I want to know how to be saved. And he's standing there with one hand on a casket. And the other hand wiping tears out of his eyes. He said, Brother Joe, right now, the only thing that gives me some hope and comfort is I remember 20 years ago, not more than that, 40 years ago, when she came in my bedroom and said, Daddy, show me how to be saved. And I remember taking my Bible out and leading her to the Lord and giving her the plan of salvation. And I was there when she called upon the name of the Lord. Man, there's a lot of things we do not have the answer for. One of the greatest questions of the ages is why do bad things happen to good people? Every time I hear of a young person or somebody that loves God and serving the Lord has to die or go through the valley, I say, Lord, Lord, don't mess with them. They love you. They've been good to you. They've served you. Lord, I can give you a list of names of people we can do without, but Lord, we can't do without that one. And the Holy Ghost reminds me, I'm not the potentate. I'm not the sovereign one. I'm not God. I don't know everything. I don't know what is in your heart. I don't know what is in your mind. I don't know what is in your spirit. Job didn't understand a lot of things. Why his wealth had to decay. Why his body had to be the disease. Why his friends had to be deceitful. Why his wife had to be so discouraging. That was a lot of things that Job did not have the answer for. But sitting there in his ashes, in his broken spell, he said, I want to tell you there is one thing that I do know. And in the midst of all of my uncertainty, there is one thing that I am assured of. He said, I don't hope my Redeemer liveth. I don't reckon my Redeemer liveth. I don't guess my Redeemer liveth. But I know that my Redeemer liveth. Ladies and gentlemen, may I say to you, I don't know what the stock market's going to do. I don't know what the economy's going to do. I don't know what the political world's going to do. I don't even know what the religious world is going to do. But this one thing that I know, I know him and he knows me. I love him. He loves me. I'm glad we can know that we have passed from death unto life. We can know that we're redeemed. We can know that we're saved. It's blessed assurance Jesus is mine. He's a knowing redeemer. I know. And notice how personally he gets in this text. I know your redeemer. I know the redeemer. I know of some redeemer. No. He says, I know my Redeemer. You look at it from a telescope. You know what the Bible said from a telescopic view? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Pick up a pair of binoculars and get a twin view and a little closer and it says that God loved the church and gave himself But if you really want to microscope it, get it as close as you can get it. Glory to God, I feel a breeze right there. Well, I'm glad for that far of you, for God so loved the world. I'm glad for that little closer view in Ephesians 5, that he loved the church. 
But boy, I love that Galatians 2.20 view. Up close, microscopic, staring in the face. Paul said, he loved me and he gave himself for me. Yes, he is the Savior of Israel. Yes, he is the perpetuation for all men. Yes, he is the Lamb of God. But I've come to tell you, I love this personal language of the Bible. He is my Lord. He is my God. He is my shield. He is my refuge. He is my strong tower. He is my king. He is my strength. He is my truth. He is my life. He is my light. The Lord is my shepherd. Here I am his and he is mine and I am his forever. Ladies and gentlemen, he is more than somebody else's savior and a bunch of people's savior. As we say down south, he's even more than y'all's savior. Aren't you glad he is a personal savior? I know that my, my, my redeemer liveth. And someone said, how in the midst of crisis can something mean that much to you? Because it's yours. It's personal. May I say to you this morning, the only kind of relationship in the Bible that's preached in the Scriptures is a personal relationship. I am His and He is mine. He is a knowing Redeemer. I know, I know that my Redeemer Liveth. But can I say this morning, he's more than a knowing redeemer. Listen to this one. He's a kinsman redeemer. Now, all through the New Testament, you'll find the doctrine of redemption. All through the New Testament, it is based in the doctrine of redemption. In the New Testament, redemption means you had a debt. You couldn't pay it. But Jesus paid it. And now you're forgiven. And now you belong to Jesus. Because you've been purchased by the right of redemption. So redemption is all through the New Testament. But this particular title, Redeemer, the one that does the redeeming, the one who purchased our redemption, the title Redeemer, is not used in the New Testament at all. The only place you'll find the title, the Redeemer, is in the Old Testament. And if I count it right, it's mentioned 18 times. From the book of Exodus to our text, Redeemer, the Redeemer, 18 times. Now you students of numbers in the Bible know that 18 is the number of bondage. And isn't it amazing that God used the number of bondage to give us the title, My or The Redeemer. And I promise you this morning, the only one that can break the bondage of sin in your life is The Redeemer. You say, wonder why that title is only used in the Old Testament. Because see, in the New Testament, redemption is one that pays the price. One that purchases something. But that title, Redeemer, in the Old Testament is more than a purchaser. It is more than somebody that buys something. It is the same word used for deliverer. It is the same word used as the revenger. It is a word that's used to rescue. 
can I say this today? He did more than pay for me. He rescued me. He did more than pay for me. He delivered me. He did more than pay for me. He avenged me out of the hand of the adversary. And this word redeemer is the same word used in the gospel according to Ruth as her kinsman redeemer. You say, well, what is so big about the kinsman redeemer? Well, see, way before Teddy, uh, way before Franklin Roosevelt invented Social Security and all the things we have today, even back in the Old Testament, God had a method to take care of the poor and needy. And let's say the man of the house dies and his wife and children are left destitute because the breadwinner, the bill payer, the one that secures the family is gone. God had a means whereby that little family wouldn't have to starve to death. They would go down the family record and they would find a kinsman redeemer. One that could buy back everything that had been lost. One that could restore everything that had been fouled up. One that could reach in and snatch out and deliver and redeem those in poverty. Now there were three qualifications you had to meet in order to be an Old Testament kinsman redeemer. Number one, you had to be in the right bloodline. If you were not in the right bloodline, you could not be that person's kinsman redeemer. Let's say Brother Tom and I are living in the Old Testament and we have families. Let's say, God forbid, something happened to me and my wife and children were left destitute. Brother Tom, as good as he is and as much as he loves us, he couldn't be our kinsman redeemer because he's of the Allen bloodline and we're the Arthur bloodline. Yet, but there is somebody in my family that has the same, my God, the same DNA. And the same thing, if something would have happened to Brother Tom and, and there's his wife and, and Landon and Spencer in destitution, as much as I love him and care for him, I couldn't restore, I couldn't deliver. Mm, I couldn't meet what they need because uh, I'm not in the bloodline. But over there in Covington, Georgia this morning is a brother named Tim that's in the bloodline and he could step in and rescue. You had to be of the right bloodline. Second qualification, you had to have the means or the ability. If you can't pay your own bills, you can't pay somebody else's. Even if you're in the right bloodline, you have to have the quality. You have to have the means. You have to have the ability to do it. But that was a third qualification. Even if you was in the bloodline, even if you were wealthy enough to do it, the number one test you had to pass was you had to be willing. You had to be willing. And a Calvinist nerves tears up right here. In the book of Ruth, there are two kinsmen redeemers. Actually, there is one that's a nearer kin. And he's wealthy enough. But when they ask him, Will you buy Naomi back? 
He said, I'll buy her back, but them two heathen daughter-in-laws, I ain't buying them back. And the master, the magistrate said, you buy it all, son, or you don't buy nothing. But he said, I can't mar my inheritance. I can't do that. I can't, I can't mar my, I, I'm in the bloodline and I got the means, but I'm not willing. And about that time, one steps up and says, sir, my name is Boaz. And I'm in the right bloodline. Well, Mr. Boaz, what is your qualifications? Well, you remember when them walls came tumbling down out that side of Jericho? And there's a little harlot saved named Rahab the harlot. She fell in love with one of them boys that shattered the wall down. And they had a boy. And his name was Obed. And Obed got married and fell in love and had a baby and had a boy named Jesse. And Jesse grew up and fell in love and had a boy. Whoop! And his name was David. I'm just telling you, he's in the right bloodline. But he said, look, I own this field and I own that field. Check my credentials. I'm not only in the right bloodline, but I got the means. I can afford it. But sir... More than that, more than having the means and more than being in the bloodline, I'm willing. I'll buy Oprah, I'll buy Ruth, I'll buy Naomi, I'll pay every bill, I'll bear every scar, I will buy it all. He was her kinsman redeemer. Oh, that points to one named Jesus Christ. We lost everything in the fall. And through unbelief, sinners by birth, by nature, and by choice. But I'm glad there was one who's called the Redeemer. Or should I say, my Redeemer. And he exceeds and excels in all qualifications. He's in the right bloodline. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root and the offspring of David, the man of sorrows acquainted with grief, made in the likeness of sinful man, humbled himself and became obedient and to the death and to the death of the cross. But wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. May I tell you, he's qualified. He's qualified. He's the worthy redeemer. Now may I say the second qualification he meets, he's wealthy. He has the means. You say, what all does he own? I can answer that better. What all does he don't own? The earth is a large and the fullness thereof. Well, if you don't think the devil's plumb stupid sometime, notice what he said to Jesus in the, in the wilderness temptation. If you'll fall down and worship me, I'll give you all them kingdoms. I want to laugh and say, devil, you way behind. It ain't yours to give away. He's the Lord of everything. He's the Lord of all things. Can I tell you, he's the worthy redeemer and he is the wealthy redeemer. But can I tell you a qualification Jesus has that's greater than his wealth, that's greater than his worth. Lord God, somebody help me right there. 
Oh Lord, he was willing, he was willing, he was willing, he was willing to condescend from the ivory palaces of glory to a manger in Bethlehem. He was willing to be made in the likeness of sinful man. He was willing to come to his own and his own received him not. He was willing to take the thorns and the nails and the crucifixion. Thank God he was willing to drink the bitter cup. He was willing to take my place at Calvary. He was willing to pay a debt I owed and a debt I couldn't pay. He was willing to love me. He was willing to save me. He was willing to... Do you realize how blessed we are this morning? He's our wealthy Savior. He's our worthy Savior. And honey, He's our willing Savior. God wants to save you more than you want to be saved. My Redeemer. But it's more than one that purchases the price. And I'm glad for that. But as he purchased the price, as he restores that which is lost, he avenges, he rescues, he delivers. Oh, my feet were near to destruction. I was going down a slippery slope of unbelief about a half a millisecond falling off into hell. In fact, I was so close to the fire, my heart was already blackened by the flames. But, hallelujah. Just in time, on time, like God does every time. He stood in the gap. He took my place. He died upon the cross. And he rescued me. And he delivered me. And he avenged me out of the hand of the devil. And paid for my sin. I'm glad he's my knowing redeemer. And I'm glad he is my kinsman redeemer. But I see a third thing in this one verse. Not only see the knowing redeemer and the kinsman redeemer, but according to the last line, he's the kingly redeemer. This redeemer is not only the redeemer, he's the king. For notice what he said in the last part. For I know my redeemer, give me the word, liveth. Say that with me again. For I know my Redeemer. Let's say that one more time. That sounds good. For I know my Redeemer liveth. What good is a dead Savior? What good is a dead Avenger? What good is a dead Deliverer? You say, but preacher, you don't understand. He gave his life to save me. Uh Uh-huh. But he lives forever so he don't have to save you again. I asked this guy one time, I should you have been saved, sir? He said, hallelujah, I've been saved 40 times. 40? Can I testify just a minute? If what happened to me that Thursday night in June of 1979 were to happen to me 40 times, I'd have busted a gut a long time ago. I sat there in your doctor's office, Dr. K's office, and got that light down. He said, you got problems. I said, I know that. He run that light up my head and said, it's not your brain, preacher. Run that light down as Barney Fife said, my larynx. He said, you got polyps. 
I said, you mean nodules? He said, no, nodules are blisters. I said, well, I had them before. He said, well, they're not there no more. I said, what have I got now? He said, polyps. I said, ain't that what old people get in their stomach? He said, son, polyps is ruptured blood vessels. I said, you've got to be kidding. No, polyps are ruptured blood vessels. I said, sir, how does a Baptist preacher get ruptured blood vessels in his vocal cords? He said, I don't know. You're the one that's got them and not me. I'm going to tell you how a Baptist preacher gets ruptured vocal cords. He preaches like a holy roller. Say amen right there. And by, and by the way, some of these dead churches around here, they make fun of me and call me the Holy Roller Baptist. I accept that with pride. Number one, if you saved, you ought to be holy. And if you're rolling, you're going somewhere. And I'd rather be called Holy Roller than Prune Face. Glory. I go to these pastors and preach at their churches and no wonder, my God, no wonder they need revival. Here they are during the singing. And I'm thinking, are we going to fight for it's over? I always, I've always had the idea of I want people to enjoy my preaching. I'm going to enjoy their singing. If I have a preacher here and he reads his Bible, the whole time you guys are singing, he comes twice, his first and last. If our singing ain't good enough for him to listen to, his preaching ain't good enough to listen to. Can I get an amen? And I told one one time, I said, hey, buddy, if you ain't studded up by now, you're too late. Oh, I got ruptured blood vessels on my vocal cords because I got excited in 1979 and my motor won't quit running. And I'm telling you, if that were to happen to me 40 times, I'd be preaching like this today. Son, can you imagine being passed from death unto life 40 times? Can you imagine a 40-acre heaven patch coming in the gable into your soul 40 times? Can you imagine having your name written in the Lamb's book of life 40 times? Can you imagine the weight of sin being rolled away 40 times? No, I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, the Redeemer, he had to die and shed his blood for the price of our redemption. But I'm glad he didn't stay nailed to that cross. He didn't stay enshrined in that grave. But bless God, early one Easter Sunday morning, up from the grave he arose with the mighty power of his foes. Yes, he died to save me. He died to redeem me but he ever lives to deliver me avenge me and rescue me I know my redeemer liveth and here it is in closing the word picture is like a king who leaves his throne and goes out into battle and defeats the enemy and returns back to his throne not as a victim, but as a victor. And that kingdom that he had just fought for and won the victory will live in peace and contentment 
as long as the king occupies the throne. Lord, have mercy. I see people, I see people get excited over things. That, I mean, if that's your cup of tea, hey man, have at it. But most things we get excited over are very, very temporary. I, I love to watch the sports. I think I like to watch fans more than I do the sports. You know, the roll tide and they're in mourning. Tennessee's been bragging too much and they got unvolunteered last night. No, that's wonderful. Man, I love to fish. Lord, I want to catch a big mouth bass so much I have to take a crane to pull it in. Man, I love to hunt. Boy, I love to hunt. I'm going to go hunting the Lord willing up in North Carolina our Thanksgiving trip and Man, I hope I kill one so big they'll have to cancel Christmas for 10 years. He said, Brother Joe, would you shoot Bambi? I sure would. His mama, his daddy, his brother, his sister, and I'm looking for his grandpa. I like my cars and my truck. I like nice clothes. I like nice things. I used to have nice hair. I used to have steady hands and a mind like a steel trap. Got where I shake, forget. I'm not the man I used to be. I come in from that colon surgery all broken up and bandaged and bruised and had a pillow right here. And the first thing my boy said, Daddy, I love you, but you ain't got the guts you used to have. How many like me, the longer you live, the more you realize everything it's temporary. But I'm glad, praise God, what holds us in our calamity, what holds us in our affliction, what we anchor our soul to in the time of trouble, it is not temporary. And it will matter a thousand years from now and 10,000 years from now and 10 billion zillion infinity years from now. I know my Redeemer liveth. Wade, back me up, the English scholar here. When a word ends in E-T-H, it means right now and on and on and on and on. The Bible said he loveth. He loves now and on and on and on. The Bible said he giveth. He gives now and on and on and on. The Bible said he knoweth. He knows now and on and on and on. Oh, he keeps on giving because he never runs out of give to give. He keeps on loving because he never runs out of love to love. He keeps on knowing because he never runs out of no to no. And thank God I'm glad my Redeemer liveth. That means he's alive right now this morning and on and on and on. I know my Redeemer liveth. Aren't you glad we have an eternal Savior who lives and reigns and he is our Redeemer. See if I can illustrate it in closing. Uh, most people don't read books anymore. I remember when I first started flying, everybody in the airport had a newspaper, a magazine, or a book. Now they got a phone or a tablet. Out of the thousands of people I'll come in contact with in the airport, I may see one person 
reading a book. And they may be reading books on their tablets, but we just live in a different, we live in a different society. I get it. I won't know what I'm supposed to do tomorrow if it wasn't for my iPad. If that cloud ever crashes, I'll eat supper at your house. But how many of you ever been reading a book, a hero book? And the hero has got a damsel, a girl, a sweetheart. Boy, after his girl is an old evil, evil person. And he comes in during the night and he kidnaps the damsel. And he holds her in distress. During the night, he surprises the hero and ties him to the railroad track. Boy, the trains are coming. I hear the train. You're revealing your carnality if you know that song. And Brother Barry... The hero is tied to the railroad track and the trains are coming and the villain has kidnapped the little damsel and it looks like the damsel is going to die and the hero is going to die. Man, your suspense is up. Who can go to bed like that? Earl Cannon. But anyway, and Earl Watley. But who can go to sleep when the damsel's in distress? Who can go to sleep watching wrestling? <laughs> Who can go to sleep and lying at Walmart? Earl Watley's slept through some of the greatest preaching that ever has in this world. But who, brother, who can go to sleep when the damsel's been kidnapped? Who can go to sleep when the hero is in distress and the train is coming? So here's what you do if you got any sense. You skip over to the back of the book. You skip over the back of the book. And just in time, the hero got free. And just in time, the hero rescued the damsel. And just in time, the hero, the adversary... And just in time, the hero and the damsel right off in the sunset. And I don't know why they say, and they lived happily ever after the end. Well, if they live happily ever after, you should put the end. You say, what has that got to do with us? Old Job is trapped in his calamity, in a storm, and he's looking for a hero, his avenger, his mediator, his daysman. But my God, he's nailed to a cross with three rusty nails, and it looks like the adversary's going to win. But thank God he cries, it is finished, and he conquers death, and hell in the grave, and he kills the avenger, hey, and he rescues the damsel, and they run off in the sunset, and they really do live happily ever after because he said, I know my Redeemer liveth. Where is God at preaching all of my calamity? He's alive. And because he lives, he's praying for you. And he has your best interest in mind. And there's nothing you can't trust him. I know my Redeemer liveth. Instead of putting your faith today in something that's temporary, 
Instead of putting your faith today in something that is fleeting, something that's not even real, let me encourage you to put your faith in the one and only Redeemer who lives forever. His name is Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. Father, we love you today.